getting uh, still involved in our lesson about uh, that we've been talking about uh, the uh, the true uh, nature of, of communion uh, and what it entails and, and really what it is um, and uh, the nature of true communion, uh, identifying the bread and the cup of the Lord. And uh, tonight in your handout, uh, uh, we're going to be talking in our lesson about partaking of the living bread. Now we're going to, uh, we've been, we've talked a lot about other things to build up to this point. And uh, we're going to uh, begin to get into how we partake of that living bread. And we want to identify what the bread and the cup is. In the last study, we talked about achieving real intimacy with God. Now, I hope by this time, and I got a typographical error there. I left a word out. It's supposed to be, I hope by this time that you can understand that since God is a spirit, can I get any amens on that? He's a spirit. God don't have a physical body. He's a spirit being. Uh, and uh, since God is a spirit, the only way you can become intimate with him is by the spirit and through his word. Hallelujah. If God's a spirit, you tell me how you can touch him. Now, I can walk down here, say to Brother Douglas, and I can reach out and touch him. But that's in the physical realm. But you can't, you can't do that to God. He's a spirit. He don't have a physical body. The Bible teaches us he's invisible. Amen. So... Uh, the only way that you can touch God, be intimate with God, is by the Spirit and through His Word. Um, I'm not trying to be rude or nothing like that, but, but uh, crackers and grape juice is not going to achieve that. Neither is anything else going to achieve that. Uh, we also proved by the Word that all three places in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where tradition has taught that they were eating the Lord's Supper was not the Lord's Supper that they were eating. Man has tacked that on there. But we proved and gave you the scripture that what in fact that they were eating that night before the crucifixion was the Passover meal that had eat, been eaten every year since the last night in Egypt. Jesus did not intend for it to continue as an ordinance in the church. Jesus himself has become our Passover. Hallelujah. Uh, and we, in the very first lesson, I gave you several scriptures, and I took the time to read them. That, that Jesus, uh, when he went to Calvary, he fulfilled all the ordinances of the Old Testament. Amen. Hallelujah. And that ordinances was under law and not under grace. You've got that in your handouts. Uh, now, 
I wrestled with this for many years. And uh, I didn't know how to take it. And I prayed and I fasted and I sought the Lord. And tonight, I want to show you, and I put it in your handout, a scripture. That was a scripture that, I, that God gave me that I, when I read it, like a light bulb came on, and I seen this. It was revealed to me what this was all about. 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 7 and 8. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. I never will forget the day that I read that, and the Spirit of God just shot through my heart. Christ is our Passover. <coughs> what they did in the Old Testament in all those years, the Passover meal that they ate, even the night before the crucifixion, if you call that anything, if you properly call it anything, it's just like the picture that you buy somewhere. <coughs> it's a proper way to call it the Last Supper because that's what it was intended to be. Jesus became the Passover for us. He's my Passover. Hallelujah. Amen. So in verse 8, Therefore, let us keep the feast... Now, here, here's where it takes wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, the feast, we're, we're, we're talking about, uh, uh, about the meal, the ordinances, and all those things. He tells us how that we are to keep it. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, excuse me, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Hallelujah. Just as soon, Brother Kyle, <coughs> you can go to Publix, Kroger, or Walmart, or any other store, and you can buy me a loaf of bread that's, that's, that, that's named Sincerity and Truth, we'll break bread together with it. There's no literal way to keep a feast literally with sincerity and truth. Hallelujah. That's how we are to take it today. Now, in this lesson, we will notice how the Apostle John who was said to be the closest to Jesus, you know, he's the one that the Bible says Jesus loved. And don't you think it funny or strange if John was closer to Jesus than any other apostle, that John didn't mention that night where they ate that meal? Matthew did, Mark did, Luke did. You don't find it in John. 
Why? Why was it not written in John? Not even once. Um, if Christ was instituting some special observance to be followed in the church, why did John the apostle Jesus love did not record it? That's something to consider. John did record something in the place of the Last Supper that the other three didn't record. John put something in his writings that you won't find in the other three. And I guarantee you, if you want to find out anything about Jesus and who he is, when you people come in, you converts come in, uh, uh, they ask me, you know, what's the best thing to read in the, in the Bible? I have learned this by experience down through the years. If you, are, if you are talking with a new convert, somebody is new to Christianity, new to church, you tell them to read the book of Acts and the book of John. Hallelujah. Because the book of Acts identifies what the, who the true, true church is. And the book of John identifies who Jesus was. That he was more than a man. He was the word made flesh. Hallelujah. So John had a little bit of deeper insight because he was so close to the Lord. Now, uh, John did record this uh, that the other three didn't. And it was, that it was the turning point in Christ's earthly ministry. Before the message of the living bread, Jesus had thousands who followed him. Now, th now think about this. Before this message of the bread of life, there were thousands of people. You, you know, you read the story of the feeding the 5,000 and, uh, and the, and the 4,000, which that was just a minimum. Uh, that wasn't including men, uh, women and children that was there. Um. Uh, but when he taught the message that we're going to read here in the 6th chapter of John, the majority began to leave him. The question we must answer tonight is, how do we eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink his blood? How do we do it? If you can't touch God in a physical way because he's a spirit, how do you partake of his flesh? How do you drink of his blood? Because Jesus made it very plain that unless we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we don't have no chance of eternal life. Hallelujah. Let this kind of soak in and, and think about this and, and pray for God to help you uh, to receive the wisdom to take this. Now, we're going to be reading... In John chapter 6, and quite a bit of scriptures, I may not finish this lesson tonight. We may have to pick up next time. Uh, it starts off, he says, Jesus says, I am that bread of life. Now remember, I read to you out of 1 Corinthians that tell, to, tells us that he is our Passover. Now, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which come down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the whole world. Hallelujah. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. I was listening to a man preach from these scriptures one time, and he tried to take these scriptures <coughs> and say, well, this right here, of course, is referring uh, to us uh, taking the Lord's Supper. There's no way, in a thousand ways, there's no way that you can ever get that out of that unless you're looking carnal. Unless you're looking at faith. Listen, look at what he said. I want to read this again. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, he shall live forever. If that's what it's talking about, then that's all somebody, anybody's got to do to have eternal life. Forget about repentance. Forget about baptism. Forget about getting the Holy Ghost. All you got to do is take a bite of that and you're fixed up. But that's not what he's talking about. Jesus said, I'm the bread, my body, my flesh. Now, what is? Ah, oh, some <laughs> man, you got ahead of me, brother. You're, exact, you're, you're tracking what I'm saying right now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was made what? Every time, dear hearts, you Read the Word of God. You're partaking of the flesh of Jesus. His, my Lord. Whew. Every time you listen to a message being preached or taught on the anointing of the Holy Ghost, you're partaking. My Lord, my the Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Even the Jews had enough sense to know that that wasn't possible in the flesh. <coughs> they were all bum -fuzzled. How in the world can this man? This man's talking about giving us his flesh. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drank his blood, you have no life in you. Wow. You realize how, how potent that is right there? Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, if that was talking about something literally, where, show me some place in the 54th verse that says anything about repentance, that says anything about water baptism in Jesus' name or otherwise, or being filled with the Holy Ghost. 
it says all you got to do is eat his flesh or drink his blood. Common sense should let us know that it's got to go deeper than that. It's got to go deeper than that. Verse 55, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. <laughs> I'm thinking about another writer that talks about it. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Church, you've got to get the word in you if you want life. You've got to get it down in you. And I'll, and I'll say this. Let me, let me just stop and say this right here. I think about the struggles of my life. Times I have I've hurt, I've been heartbroken, uh, and things I've had to go through with. And I look back over my life about what carried me through the roughest times. Now, I love shouting and praising God as much as anybody. I've done my share of it. We talking about the old tent meeting days. I wasn't even attempted now, but I've swung around a few tent poles. Hallelujah. If I tried it now, I'd probably pull the whole tent down on me and everybody else. Glory. I enjoy the shout. I enjoy the Holy Ghost coming up on me and speaking in that heavenly language. But it's, it's not the shout that has brought me and kept me, Sister Moore. It's the Word of God that I've ingested that's down here inside me. I stand today because of his word. I have partaken of his flesh. I have drunk of his blood through the Holy Ghost. Mm. My, 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 my. I have to kind of stop and get my composure because this, this stirs me so much. <coughs> I'm going to talk just a little bit. And I'm keeping an eye on the time. I promise I will let you out the time we normally do. But talking about going beyond the physical realm. Uh, remember what we said about the Old Testament. The types and the shadows. The gift and power of the Holy Ghost enables New Testament believers to transcend the physical or literal realm into a dimension 
the Old Testament believers could only hope for. As close to God as Abraham was, he never was able to achieve the intimacy of God that you can receive through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Because if you got the Holy Ghost, you got God dwelling in you. Your body is His temple. Hallelujah. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you're able to achieve something in that that nobody in the Old Testament, could they could only hope for it. Their ritual style of worship never produced the reality of spiritual oneness with God. It only reflected in the physical realm what God was going to do in the spiritual realm when the fullness of time would come. Hallelujah. What's that scripture in the fullness of time? God sent, sent forth his son. Hallelujah. Amen. They did all kind of rituals and washings and all that, all of that stuff back then, all of that natural stuff. But they were just shadows pointing to what God really was going to do when Jesus came on the scene. All the feasts and the physical rituals were never intended to last beyond the time frame where the church would be taken to the realm of true worship. Hallelujah. Jesus prophesied to the woman at the well that the time would come when the old way of worship would be no more. <coughs> we do not worship God today through physical things. We're in the spiritual realm. John, we're going to stick with John for a while. Chapter 4, verses 20 and 24. Uh, the woman at the well was doing the talking here, and this is what she told Jesus. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He went on to say, Ye worship, ye know not what. For we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour coming, the hour cometh, and now is. When the true worshipers, everybody say true worshipers, shall worship the Father, how? In spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Still today, a lot of churches, uh, especially, especially Catholics, they'll come in performing all kind of rituals. They'll go over here and they'll 
be a bunch of candles and they'll light a candle, you know, and then they'll uh, go through other rituals and things and, and kneel at their altar and make their sign of the cross and, uh, and, and all of that. But it, through all of that, it's just like what I preached Sunday. He said, I, he said, you're alive and living but are dead. There's no spirit in that. There's no anointed in that. You coming in here and lighting a candle and sitting down or kneeling and doing this, it, 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 it ain't, it's, it's not worshiping God. Hallelujah. Neither is any other of what they did under the Old Testament. Uh, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit, that's where the blood is. Truth, that's the word of God. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go any further right there. I'm going to leave it right there. I'm going to see if anybody has any comments or questions before I close tonight because I want to make sure that you're tracking with me and you understand where we have gotten so far. Brother Paul. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's right. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm so thankful for the word and uh, the understanding that God gives us. And, and let me say this. If there's anything about this you don't understand, if you would just pray and ask God to open up your understanding, he'll show you that what we're talking about tonight is true. Because everybody that 